Hello and welcome to Acro Tales, a regular podcast that explores the fascinating world of acromegaly. My name's Dan Jeffries, and I was diagnosed with acromegaly in 2007. In each episode of Acro Tales, I'll be talking to fellow acromegalics from around the world about their journey with this unique condition. We'll be talking about how they found out they had it, the treatment and diagnosis, the effects on friends and family, the impact on day-to-day life, and what advice they would give to someone recently diagnosed with acromegaly. For those that are thinking, acro what? Let me give you a bit of background. Acromegaly is a rare condition caused by a benign tumour growth in the pituitary gland. This little gland sits at the base of the brain and controls all of our hormones. Acromegaly disrupts the proper functioning of this gland and in most cases causes an excessive release of growth hormones, often causing the face to grow and change shape, as well as hands, feet, jaw and limbs. It usually takes around six to eight years for a successful diagnosis and the sooner it is discovered, the better. And with that, I would like to introduce Trinity, who comes from Phoenix, Arizona. And I first met Trinity at an acromegaly event in New Orleans uh, early in, uh, when was it? 2019. 19, yes. 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) as with every acromegalic you meet, their story is always fascinating and unique and different. So first of all, Trinity, welcome to the show. Thank you. And it's great to have you here. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> no, my, my pleasure. So um, tell us a bit how about your background. How did you first find out that you had acromegaly? What were the signs or, or no signs sometimes? Actually, my story, um, I didn't know until I was diagnosed last year with acromegaly that my story actually started when I was about 10. Okay. So um, I knew at the time that I had grown very, very quickly. And what we can remember from doctors in the 80s (laughs) was that I had gone through an MRI and a bunch of different studies. And they said that my pituitary gland was overactive. Right. And at that time, there was a lot of um, new medications. My mom remembers me taking a medication for a while, but then my um, height leveled out and I stopped growing. So I was six foot three, fully developed by the time I was 12. Wow. Six Um, foot three. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And did you feel very different, you know, sort oh. of being a 12 year old and that tool? Oh, my whole life. Absolutely. I think, you know, people see someone who's with that stature, especially a woman with that stature. Yeah. And, you know, they always expected that I was older than I was and therefore expected me to act older. So at 12, I took, I started taking medication and eventually like leveled out. I stopped growing. And then um, as I got older in my late 20s, I started having a lot of joint problems. Um, So actually had both of my knees replaced by the time I was 35. And my jaw needs to be replaced still. So then we started kind of doing more, you know, I would kept saying this can't just be arthritis, this can't just be uh, uh, fibromyalgia, which is what a lot of the doctors wanted to call it. Right. And um, it was actually my dermatologist I uh, broke out in some weird sores on my ears and he just like, we're going to figure this out. And he ran every test known to man and my IGF was elevated. So it's amazing. So a dermatologist (laughs) (laughs) diagnosed you with the condition. I mean, you just, you just wouldn't expect that at all, would you? So what what was it like to finally be 
you know, to give what you had a name, how important was that to you? Oh, amazing. So I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. I've worked in the emergency departments for about 13 years. It was very hard as a nurse to hear, we don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. It was very hard as a nurse to not be able to diagnose myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? So getting, getting that word, it was like, finally, finally, it was vindication. And had you heard of it before? You know, it's funny because you, you, there's probably a very small paragraph in one of my textbooks in nursing school about acromegaly. And that is it. That is, and, and once I heard the, the word again, as an adult, I remembered, oh yeah, I remember there's like a paragraph in that book about it. But that was it. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, because obviously there are so many rare conditions around that it's mm-hmm. you can't expect to train every nurse and every doctor to know sort of every rare condition but i i'm always amazed at uh, the amount of people that don't even know about the pituitary gland and True. where that is and so i'm guessing as a nurse you had more awareness of hormones the pituitary gland what it does uh, definitely okay so you you it was given a name you found out what this condition was and what was the next steps after that um, so after that, we started um, some more testing, more labs, lots and lots of labs, <laughs> and then the MRI. And um, interestingly enough, my MRI, and I think it was probably oh a week or two before the MRI, I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life, and I was in bed for two days. I had the MRI, and when they read it, they said, well, if you had a tumor, it was very large, and now it's gone. And, it, you know, so there's an empty cell syndrome is what they call that, and there's a big space basically by your pituitary gland where something would have been, but is no longer there. So they say that I had tumor apoplexy, which means the tumor burst on its own. Oh my gosh. I feel like I was growing it. I've probably been growing that tumor since I was 11. Right. You know? <clears throat> okay. So, so no surgery then or? No, no surgery. So it, I mean, don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. So it kind of healed itself or, or, I know that's an old way of looking at it, but sure. do you have to have medication to manage any of the residual tumor? Or So I, they're saying that they don't see residual tumor. However, my labs show different. <laughs> okay. So I do take um, actually cabergoline, which is a tumor kind of busting agent. It, ha- it has lowered my IGF-1 levels, um, but also with the, the size of the tumor, damaged the pituitary gland. So I've now got adrenal insufficiency, secondary adrenal insufficiency because of that. So my hormone levels are still all wonky. And what was it like, uh, you know, for your friends and family when you were diagnosed with this? I mean, I'm guessing they were used to you. How can I say this? being unique from you know 12 13 years old and being over six foot but how did they respond uh you know to you telling them that you had this condition called acromegaly right so i'm very very lucky because my support system is very strong and you know those people had been with me through this whole process through all of the you know the knee surgeries and and the you know the trying to find out my most of my support system is made up of nurses and doctors. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, I guess you're, you're very fortunate in that. In yes. That yes. And so they, you know, they were very excited for me to finally get a diagnosis. And then of course, everybody started doing research because that's what we do is, you know, the, in the medical field. So 
I think all of my friends and family are very well educated now on acromegaly. Okay. And do your, uh, this might sound like an odd question, but do your colleagues, do they have a particular interest in you now that you have this rare condition or, you know, an additional interest, let's say, um, to want to know more about, you know, your development? Oh, absolutely. Especially, um, so the, the dermatologist, um, I actually worked with him. He was a assistant in the emergency room before he went into dermatology. So we were actually friends for a very long time. And so since he's the one that, you know, found the abnormalities with the lab work and, and all of that, and in particular, he, um, he's very, very curious and he's probably going to write a paper because I have two rare conditions so acromegaly and also relapsing polychondritis okay um, which is extremely rare and so he calls me a unicorn because he doesn't know anybody yes. else like me okay and what's what does that condition entail so the rp the relapsing polychondritis um is basically it's like an autoimmune condition and your body attacks all of the connective tissue so the cartilage and the tendons which is why my knees failed. Um, also, he thinks because of the issues with the connective tissue, some of my bone growth as an adult isn't as prominent because I have such crumbling joints. So like the jaw, for example. Okay. Um, I definitely have had issues with my jaw um, and they think possibly growth, but because it's so damaged, you can't see that growth. Wow, okay. Well, welcome to the Two Rare Disease Club because uh, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, I, I, the jaw I think is a really interesting issue because um, I think you mentioned that you were looking to have jaw surgery. I was lined up to have jaw surgery, but couldn't have it because of my uh, complexities with my other condition. And I have to say, I was really looking forward to jaw surgery because, as as horrible as it sounds, that they're going to sort of break your jaw and reset it that's what they sort of said to me anyway mm-hmm. uh it was the promise of having a kind of returned normal and in inverted commas smile back is that right. something that you're uh, i mean that's a side effect of what you would have but is is this cosmetic or is it more than that so for me um it's definitely way more than cosmetic um so basically my jaw is bone on bone and there's parts of it where they say that it's just gone basically the the bone is crumbled because there's no structure and so it would be very similar to like a knee replacement where they would you know take part of the bone out and put an implant um surgical steel implant in you know to reform the jaw wow okay and um, and uh are, are you looking forward to that i mean do you have a lot of pain is it something that you're you can't wait to have a sort of a better functioning jaw so um there is definitely a lot of pain there's times where i can't chew where i can't eat um it will lock in one position or another and i can't like close it all the way or open it all the way um unfortunately though with that particular surgery there is one doctor that i found in probably a 10 state radius of me that's here in Arizona that does it and he doesn't accept any insurance whatsoever. So it's all out of pocket. All right. Of course. (laughs) So it's about $75,000. If you know anybody who's uh, got some extra pocket change. Okay. Well, if anyone's (laughs) listening to this (laughs) and wants to help Trinity out, (laughs) uh, um, we'll leave a comment on the website and, um, we'll set up a just giving or something like that. I mean, it's really, it's, <laughs> it's really difficult. And it, you know, um, without wanting to go off 
track too much. It, it, uh, it amazes me, and it really amazed me when I was in New Orleans, the contrast between the UK uh, health system and the US health system. You know, yes. we, we have the NHS, and for all its faults, it can be problematic. But if you need the treatment, you will get it. If you want the treatment a lot quicker and, and maybe nicer surroundings and better food, you pay private. But, uh, you know, it, uh, the amount of people I see on different forums and communities from the States talking about the insurance issue, it's, um, I sort of feel very grateful that I'm not part of that system. Sure. Um, but, you know, I guess... I guess that's the way it is. And I, I don't really want to get into the political side of it too much, but I, I really hope it's something that you can, you can get sorted soon. Well, I can't, you know, I can't complain too much because I have lost quite a bit of weight because of it. Um, <laughs> and I live in a very, very hot climate. So smoothies like all day long sometimes is just okay. fine. <laughs> and do you, and do you think that has been a side effect of the acromegaly? Did this come afterwards? Do you put it down to that? I do. Um, absolutely. Same thing with the knees. I just, you know, I, I used to, before I had the diagnosis, I would say, you know, it must've been because not only did I grow very tall, I grew very fast. So between nine and 12, I topped out. Okay. So I always thought that put a lot of extra, you know, pressure and damage to the joints of my body because I grew so tall so fast. And so I guess acromegaly in a way has been debilitating to you because you perhaps can't do the things that you want to do, you know, sports maybe, or if you are interested in running or, or, you know, physical activities, you're sort of prohibited from doing that. Very much so. Very much so. I actually played volleyball in high school because of my height, obviously. Okay. And, um, you know, I used to when it, up into my twenties and then when my knees started, uh, giving me all the problems, then it was almost like a, a domino effect of, of every joint started to make itself known. <laughs> so not a lot of, uh, a lot of problems doing a lot of physical stuff. Yes. So as I mentioned at the start, um, I met you in uh, an acromegaly uh, conference back in New Orleans in 2019. Um, was that the first time you'd been in a room with a multitude of acromegalics? Yes, first time ever. And how was that for you as an experience? Um, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it's funny because there's little things you don't think about that could be related to this. And somebody will say, well, what about this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I had, you know, that same thing. Or, and it just feels so good to have that support and to know that you're not alone in this disease. I mean, as rare as it, as it is, it's nice to have that community. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, it's not so rare uh, when everyone's together. And, and, right. and, and, that, and that's the great thing. And it's, and it's incredibly supportive have you on your journey as well and i think i mean by doing this you you are contributing back um you know do you find yourself supporting others and being able to give back once you gain more knowledge about the condition and you know the impact that it's had um i've tried definitely absolutely tried very very hard to do so um also you know again being in the medical field i have a lot of contacts and so i've able to do a couple um uh, lectures at a couple different nursing schools Wow. Um, about, yeah, which has been very nice because again, like I said, it's still that very small paragraph in, yeah. a, in a book for those nurses. So um, that's been, that's been really, really um, a big enjoyment of it. I feel like that's paying it forward. 
Whenever I go to um, conferences, particularly in the UK, there is a real focus on the role of nurses uh, because quite often uh, doctors and specialists may look at the facts and figures, but the nurses will know much more about the general symptoms, you know, the day-to-day -day management, etc. What's the kind of information that you get across to nurses then when you're giving these talks? What are the things that you sort of highlight to them? So I think, uh, you know, some of the main things is, is, is to really push towards, you know, having people join that support group and know that they're not alone. The other thing that nurses do that doctors don't do, or not always, but for the most part, is, is they look at, they don't look at just the monitor or the lab work. They look at the whole person as, a, yeah. as an entire being. And so, you know, finding other ways to do, you know, self-care. Self-care is always very important. And, and you know, just encouraging those types of things and, and knowing that so many people with this particular disease do have a lot of issues with pain and, and you know, finding ways to distract them from that and, and to find activities that they can do and that are enjoyable. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fantastic that you're doing that. And I, that's the one thing I've really noticed with a lot of people with acromegaly is that, you know, it's obviously going to have an impact on your life and it's you're going to be, you know, I guess pissed off that you dealt this hand. <laughs> but we, we all seem to be able to um, make the most of it and turn it around to a positive. And I think anyone that can kind of give back to the community, whether it's to empower nurses and doctors or, uh, you know, to be someone on a support line or even just answer messages on a discussion board, mm -hmm. it's very empowering, isn't it? So with that in mind, what's your, if you had some messages for people recently diagnosed with acromegaly, uh, what would be your tips that you would give them? So absolutely, that would be first and foremost, get online, meet the community. There's so many resources um, and, and it's worldwide. It's so, I mean, I have met people, I've got Dan here in England. I've got a really close friend that I met through Acromegaly in uh, the Netherlands. It, it's amazing how much just social media allows us to connect to each other like never before. Yeah. That's like, I think the main Number one thing, educate yourself, educate yourself, and then educate your family and find your support group first and foremost. By that, you mean find a support group locally uh, uh, or do you mean find the support group that works best for you? Well, of course, I, I feel like it's find the support group that works best for you. Um, but I also feel like it's very important to connect with Acro um, sorry, other acromegaliacs. So, you know, searching those types of groups that are very specific to acromegaly, I think, is very important. Okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I think this, you're right. The social media explosion has, I call it an explosion. I sound like it's happened in the last year. I mean, you know, Facebook's been around forever now. And right. and it, it is a fantastic tool for bringing people together. What's, um, do you think... Um, the pharmaceutical companies, for example, could be doing more to support or would you go to them for guidance, uh, say over uh, or look for resources they may share on websites over, say, social media? Would you? Would your first point of call always be the people going through it or? Well, again, for me, because I, I think I'm such a special situation being that I'm a nurse, it's always going to be my first, I'm always going to research and research and research. So I did, you know, when, it, when I first was diagnosed and started that process online, 
it's hard online because there's so much online that's just not true um, and that's not current. So I was very lucky. Um, I actually worked for the federal government here and um, NIH is a national federal organization that does a ton of research on uh, different um, diseases. And so I was able to go to the NIH library and, and find things. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not certainly not anti looking at the pharmaceuticals. I just feel like there's, there's better ways to get more information that's more current. And yeah. And with that being said, then yes, I do believe that they could do more. I don't believe that it's on the forefront enough. Okay. It's interesting. Uh, the idea of it being current, because I think um, you're right. You you tap into somebody that saw their doctor yesterday or their specialist yesterday, and they and they can answer a question. And go, yeah, I've, I actually asked my specialist about that. You know, the other day. Here's what they said. You know, that information and getting that information very quickly is is hugely useful. I think the the slight downside is is that there's no, not necessarily always. Um, how can I say? Um, it's not always authorized, you know, right. you, you have to sometimes take these things as, with a pinch of salt. Um, and, and that's, that's the challenge, but you know, that's social media full stop. It's about wading through a ton of stuff, uh, to find the bits that really work. I agree. Okay. Uh, well, look, I think they're really fantastic, uh, pieces of advice. And for anybody who's listening, uh, that's, you know, recently been di diagnosed with acromegaly. I think what you'll find with all of the interviews and stories that we tell is that, you know, the journey is a scary one. It can be a frightening one at times, but actually the vast majority of people come out the other end. Uh, no, I'm not going to say reborn. That's just like, it's not the right way of putting it, but maybe with a new attitude on life uh, and, uh, you know, new perspective, new priorities and things like that. You, would you say that's something that's happened to you? Would you say sort of emotionally or sort of characteristically it's evolved you to some extent? Um, absolutely. So I um, had to quit working because of it. I actually just uh, finished my master's degree in nursing um, in 2017. So two years before my diagnosis. Um, and now I'm not able to work. Uh, there is a thing called aquafog that mm. causes your brain to not work properly. And I certainly would not want to be in an emergency situation with a patient and miss something or forget something okay. you know, that people's lives are in my hands every day when I work as a nurse. Um, and that was really hard. It was, it, it was a big piece of me of my personality that I, but again, like you said, you come out on the other side and you, you repurpose yourself. And, you know, I, I think that because I have my master's degree in nursing, I'm able to talk to the medical field with, with better knowledge and with the right language and so absolutely it's, it's, it's flipped for me completely. Like I, I'm just finding out who I am now, who, who the new me is. Yeah. It's, it's a long old journey. I mean, mm -hmm. for, you know, it took me a good 10 years, I think from surgery to sort of finally fully accept, uh, you know, mm -hmm. how it had affected my appearance, for example, mm. uh, which for me was like a really difficult thing. Um, sure. So yeah, I think obviously everyone has their own personal journeys, and that and that is why I I wanted to set up this Acro Tales podcast because I think listening to the patient journeys can be for those that are recently diagnosed some of the most useful information that you'll get. Absolutely. And on that note, Trinity, I'm going to say thank you very much for participating. 
your story has been absolutely fascinating and I really think it will help those that have listened. So I'm very, very grateful to you joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dan. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you very much. And if you found Trinity's story interesting and want to hear other Acro Tales, head over to acrotales.com where you can find the ever-expanding library of interviews. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest updates via iTunes, Spotify, and all the other usual outlets. So this is me, Dan Jeffries, signing off. Thank you once again to Trinity, and we'll see you at the next Acro Tales. Acro Tales.